I have a cheat sheet. So I want you to, um, to imagine with me, if you will. Um, and you can turn that up a little bit if you want to. I want you to imagine with me, if you will. Um, it's Saturday night. And um, just the night before Jesus was crucified. Imagine. Saturday night, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. And um, I'm going to walk back here and turn this off before I choke to death up here. Um, you've been following this guy for like, for like three years. All right? And the night before, you... Um, watched one of your one of your friends die just imagine if you if you will having your hope built up in something and it being crushed anybody know that feeling your hope built up in something and it just you thought it was about to happen. You thought this breakthrough was about to happen, and all of a sudden, that the very thing that you, uh, the very thing that you that you had your hope in, the very thing that you had your trust in, the very thing that you thought was going to get you out of the mess that you're in, is now buried. Imagine being a part of a movement that seemed to be taking off, having momentum, and moving forward, and by all appearances, ended just ended just as the momentum was taking off. See, I know this is where the disciples were Saturday night after the, after the crucifixion of Jesus. Peter left with unresolved sorrow after denying he was a friend of Jesus not once but three different times on the same night. Can you imagine Peter Saturday night? Why did I do that to my, my best friend? Why did I deny that I knew him three times? On top of that, why did Jesus have to tell me I was going to do that before I ever did it? You would think that after he told me you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows that I would realize, oh, this is what he was talking about and stop, but I didn't. Like, can you imagine Peter's remorse Saturday night? Then you had Mary Magdalene, who Jesus rescued from the grip of seven demons. She didn't, get to, she didn't get to properly pay her respects to her deliverer because of the rush to get Jesus off the cross and into the tomb because of it being Passover. And she, it's all day Saturday. All she could think about was showing up at the tomb to pay her final respects. All day Saturday. Saturday night, she's like, I'm going to go this morning and I'm going to lay flowers at that stone. I'm going to go have somebody roll away the stone so I can properly prepare his body. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay my respects for him delivering me from these seven demons that I was possessed with. She didn't get to pay it properly, so it just had to, all weekend had to have just been a mess. 
Then you had Thomas, who had all of his hope in Jesus, now left doubting because his hope was dead. And John, oh, John, the disciple that Jesus loved and loved him back. He was the only disciple that would stand at the foot of the cross with Mary, Jesus' mom. John loved Jesus. He lost his closest friend. And that's only just mentioning a couple of Jesus' followers. It's just imagine. Imagine the fear they must have had. What's going to happen to us? Because people knew that we were followers of him, that we were his disciples. What's going to happen to us? You see, as I was getting ready for this, I, I kind of remembered, you know, when I was in school, I had to, I had to read through all of C.S. Lewis's writings, and there's a lot. There's one that always stuck out to me, and it's his, his writing, um, The Grief Observed. The Grief Observed. Right? And in the grief observed, it says, no one ever told me that grief felt like fear. No one ever told me that grief felt like fear. This is where the disciples were Saturday night. What was next for them? What was the world going to, how was the world going to treat them knowing they were they were followers of Jesus? But you see, I know looking back, which probably wasn't on their mind, but we know looking back at Psalms 30, it says this, we may weep through the night, but at daybreak, it will turn into shouts of ecstatic joy. Some translations say sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. See, here's the question that I have to ask. Where's my daybreak? Where's my morning? Where, where, when, where is my breakthrough? When is my morning coming? Because right now, everything that I had hope in is dead. It was lost. And like now it's buried in the grave. I don't even know how to get to it anymore. This is exactly where the disciples were. What's next? What's next? Where's my daybreak? Where's my breakthrough? And I'm just wondering, does anybody feel, anybody else feel that? Feel that right now? If there's some things in my life, it's like, where is my, where's my morning? When, where's my, where's this? Where are things going to get easier for me? You with me? You see, um, early Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene wants to pay her respects to Christ. She heads to the tomb where they laid Jesus' body. And I want you to look at what happens. Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. Now, I just want you to pause for a second, because we know this story. But imagine being Mary walking up into the garden and seeing the stone that she knew was there, gone. Imagine the heartbreak. Goes on to say, so she went running as fast as she could to go tell the other disciples, the one Jesus loved, Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, that's John, 
she told them, they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb and we don't know where he is. Imagine the state Mary must have been in, already filled with grief, and now this. And now this. When not only your breakthrough moment is dead, but now there's not even a, a, a glimpse of it there anymore. No hope to even lean on. Somebody's robbed the grave. Somebody did rob the grave. But it wasn't what's in her mind. Just put your place in, like, put yourself in Mary's position here. Imagine that it's Peter and John. What? What are you talking about? Are you crazy? That stone has to weigh tons. Ain't nobody going to roll that and, and take his body? Look what happens. Then Peter and the other disciple jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. So they started out together. But the other disciple, John, outran Peter. They wanted to make sure he put that in there to say, I beat Peter. You know what I'm saying? And reached the tomb first. Because love, I love that, and there's a little note in one of my Bibles that says that love always outruns curiosity. I love that. Love always outruns curiosity. He didn't, he didn't enter the tomb, John didn't enter the tomb, but peeked in and saw only the linen cloths laying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloths laying there, but the burial cloth, that, that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate from the other cloths. Then the other disciple who, who had reached the tomb first went in and after one look he believed, believed what? For until then they hadn't understood the scripture that prophesied that he was destined to rise from the dead. Like imagine for a moment. In this moment they realized, I, I can just imagine John going, Peter, 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 like he was hot. Peter, you remember when he said, remember when he said that you may tear down this temple, but in three days I will raise it back up? And the religious leaders thought he was crazy. You remember that time when he said, I may be gone for a little while, but you're going to see me in a new way? Like, do you, like, Peter, do you get it? Like, he was so hot. He was so hot. But see, there's this unique aspect or observation that John adds in his translation here about the burial clothes. It wasn't the fact that Jesus was unwrapped. I don't know if you know much about burial customs, but they, they wrapped the body in cloths and then they would place another cloth over top of the face. And the way this actually translates is that it was almost like the body that was inside of this wrapping came out without it being unwrapped. So it was just kind of like this hollow falling down. You know, like if you were to raise the covers up real fast in your bed and run out from under how they would just sink slowly. So it wasn't the fact that Jesus was unwrapped, but that the burial cloths that were wrapped him were empty. And on top of that, this, the thing that covered his face was rolled up and placed to the side. So there's like, if you're going to steal a body, who, well, how are you going to take time to do that? You're going to get that body out of there and go. I don't know if, you, I don't know if you've done much of grave robbing before. But it was like Jesus was saying, see, I told you. See, I told you what was going to happen. So with the rolled up face covering apart, with just this empty shell, 
of grave clothes. This is what, this is what, just like the resurrection of Lazarus, this tells us that resurrection demands leaving anything resembling death behind in its grave. If you have been transformed by the power of Christ, you've got to let go of the things of your past that keep you dead in the grave. Too many of us carry around our past, carry around our shame, carry around our, 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 our things that we, we've done wrong in our past. We're carrying around like saying, look, God, see, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. You don't, of course you're not worthy, but he says, let it go. Leave your past behind. Leave your grave clothes behind you. Because if you keep carrying the things that smell like death, you will eventually smell like a corpse. You've got to let it go. Derek, my life is, I feel like my life's pretty good. Like, I don't know if I necessarily believe in this whole thing, but I, like, I feel like I, I feel like I don't need any of this. I don't need to let any of my stuff go. Like, I feel alive and free, oh yeah? How many times do you have to refill your stuff on that stuff that says that make you alive? Makes you set you free? Like, how long, how many times do you have to fill, that, fill yourself up with that stuff? When there's a joy waiting for you that's forever eternal. In fact, you know, you might say, like, I feel like I'm most alive. I don't feel dead inside. Well, Ephesians 2, 1 starts off and says, and his, fullness, and his fullness fills you even though you were once like corpses dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion, customs, and values of this world, obeying the dark ruler of the, earth, of the earthly realm who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our self-life. We lived by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated. And that's what I was just talking about. You're filling yourself up with stuff that you have to constantly fill yourself up with because it lacks the ability to really transform you. You're living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But here's the great news this morning. Here's the great news about the resurrection and the death of Jesus. But God still loved us with such a great love. He is so rich in, in, in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now co-seated as one with Christ. So when God sees you now as Christ, he sees you through the lens of Christ. You are spotless, you are holy, you are his people, you are his children. Throughout the coming ages, we will be the visible display of the infinite, limitless riches of his grace and kindness, which was show, showered upon us in Jesus Christ. For it was only through this wonderful grace that we believed in him. Nothing we do could ever earn this salvation, for it was the gracious gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast. You can't boast about how good your life really is because it's a shell of what it could be. It smells like a corpse. For salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. So this all tells us that no matter how dead you think you are inside, no matter how alive you think you are in this room or listening online later, there is, a, there is resurrection waiting for us. There's something in all of us that is, is waiting to be resurrected. Waiting to be resurrected. 
not because of anything we have done or can do, but because of the love Christ has for us. He so wants you to walk in this resurrected life. He so wants us to walk in this resurrected life. Now, just keep reading. John 20, 10, goes on to say, Puzzled, Peter and the other disciples then left and went back to their homes. Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. Because she, she doesn't know what's going on. They, she hasn't talked to Peter and John. John hadn't said, you remember. She shows up, broken, sobbing. She stopped to peer inside and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head one at the feet. See, we oftentimes read over things like that. But there's something significant in the imagery that is just pictured there. So here's the burial cloth where Jesus was laid. There's one roll, the face covering over the side. And on one end of the death bench is an angel. And on the other end of the death bench is another angel. See, in the Old Testament, there was this thing, you may have heard of it, called the Ark of the Covenant. And inside the Ark of the Covenant had many things. You had like the, the Ten Commandments that, that was put in there. Some other things. But in, in, in all, it was this gold box that, that was a picture of God's covenant with man, the Jewish people. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's, there was this picture where when they carried this thing into battle, they were victorious. Wherever they went with this thing, they were victorious. In fact, it got stolen one time in the, in the place that stole it. There was so much stuff going on, like so much bad things going on. They're like, we got to get that thing out of here. So they put it on the back of some, of some, of, of some animals and said, you take this thing back. Like, you just walk back toward, toward Israel. Give it back to these people. And it made its way back. And from that moment on, they were victorious. But see, it, not only was it this covenant, covenant, with, with this covenant with the Old with Old Testament brothers and sisters, um, it was like on the lid of this box was two angels on each side looking down on what was called the mercy seat. And every time, every every time that the people of Israel would look on this box, they would see the mercy seat with angels sitting on each side of it as a, as a sign that God gives grace and mercy to those who follow Him. That everything you need can be found in this mercy seat. The grace you're looking for, the new life you're looking for. Every time that Israel Israel would look at the, at this, they would know that God is a God of mercy. That no matter how bad we screwed up, they could just lean into this, and they would know that they, that God would forgive them. And now we have two angels sitting on each side of the death seat, or what used to be the death seat. But what this is telling us is now the tomb, the empty tomb has become our mercy seat. Has become our mercy seat. Like it is our treasure of grace. That although we deserve death because of our sin nature, Christ became death on, on our behalf, defeated it, and now we can live a life that God intends, and that is to be fully alive because the death seat has now become our mercy seat my king reigns victorious over all all hail the king it was an imagery that says the new covenant with mankind the one that i had talked about the entire old testament talks that there's a new thing coming when i will make all things new now he says it's here it's this image the mercy seat is here 
This image of a new covenant with mankind, complete, because Christ defeated sin, death, and the grave. So here's what this means. This is what, like, if you want baseline, Derek, that sounds awesome. And you were talking about earlier, you got loud there for a second. It sounds awesome. But what does that mean for me? It means that you no longer have to live in defeat to sin. So since Jesus was victorious over sin, death, and the grave, you don't fight for victory. You fight from a place of victory, which means sin should not have a hold on your life except for what you give it. And some of us give sin way too much power in our life. But because of our new mercy seat, because of the resurrection, because he defeated sin, death, and the grave, we can walk in victory. We don't fight for victory. We fight from a place of victory because our tomb is empty. The mercy seat is available. Our treasure of grace is not hidden anymore. It's in us. The empty tomb has become our mercy seat. It is our treasure of grace. He goes on. John goes on to tell the story. He says, Dear the angels say, Dear woman, why are you crying? They ask. And Mary answered, they, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her. <laughs> she didn't realize that it was him. He said to her, Dear, dear woman, why, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And Mary answered, thinking he was just the gardener. Sir, if you had taken, well, she noticed Jesus interrupted her, I love her. Sir, if you had taken his body somewhere else, tell me, and I will go and marry. Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she said, Oh, Rabbi, oh, Rabbi, just teacher, teacher, Aramaic. Jesus cautioned her. Can you just imagine Mary for a second, just falling and grabbing his feet. Oh, Rabbi, my teacher, my teacher, my Lord. Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't hold to, my, to me now, for I haven't yet ascended to God, my Father. He is not only my, my Father and, and God, and, but now He is your Father and your God. I have come to make all things new. Now go to my brothers and tell them. Notice how they changed from disciples to brothers. Now go to my brothers and tell them what, what I've told you, that I'm ascending to my Father and your, fa- and your Father, to my God and your God. He has broken the distance, broken the void between humanity and God the Father. He is that bridge. But see, it's a weird, it's a weird thing to say for Jesus to tell her, don't cling to me, because isn't that what we're supposed to do? Aren't we supposed to cling to him? So what, what, is, what is he saying to Mary? What is he saying? Don't cling to me for, for what, I've, what you've seen me do. Don't cling to me for what, but cling to me for who I am and what I'm going to do. Because what I'm about to do will flip this world upside down. Don't cling to me like the way you knew me before. Because you're about to see me, see me in a new way. Jesus is telling Mary, bottom line is... I appreciate you wanting to pay me respects, but I'm not dead anymore. You don't have to live in fear and guilt. You don't have to live 
in grief because I am alive. Stop trying to pay me respect. I've died so that you could live. He goes on to say, Then Mary Magdalene left to inform the disciples of her encounter with Jesus. I have seen the Lord, she told them. And she gave them his message. And that evening, like most men do, they want to discuss what's been happening, you know what I'm saying, without actually doing anything about it. With me? No men are going to stand up with me and be like, yeah, you're right, we kind of do that a lot. The evening the disciples gathered together, and because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors to the, to the place where they met. But suddenly Jesus appeared among them and said, peace to you. Imagine being there and all of a sudden Jesus is, bam, I'm freaking out, man. Like, how did you do that? The door was locked. Um, then, he, then he showed them his wounds on his hands and, and his side. They were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. And Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, now I send you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. At this point, they receive life from death or salvation. Later in Acts 2, they receive a second outpouring, most commonly known as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where they receive power to be witnesses unto his gifts, witnesses unto the gifts of the, of the Spirit as for, that the Spirit has for all believers. At this point, they receive life from death. Now their eternity is set. And now that I, I, he goes, now that I've done that for you, your role is to do that for others. Give to others as I'm giving to you. He goes on to say, I send you to preach the forgiveness of sins. And people's sins will, will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. Are you doing what he's commanding you to do? One of the twelve wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. Most of us know him as Doubting Thomas, but like I always say, let's just be honest, he's honest Thomas, because we'd probably be in the same boat he was. When hope dies, we die to that hope, and we have doubt. So the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our own eyes. Still unconvinced, Thomas replied, there is no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails in his hands. Touch them with my fingers and put my hands into the wounds of his side where he was pierced. And eight days later, you got to be careful what you ask for. You with me? Eight days later, Thomas and all of his others, he, Thomas was like, well, if he's showing up to y'all, I'm going to stay with y'all. I'm going to be right there with y'all. Uh, eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though all the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them. Peace to you, he said. And what does he do immediately? He turns to Thomas. Looking into Thomas's eyes, he said, Put your fingers here in the wounds of my hands. Here, put your hand into, into my wounded side to see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Then the words spilled out of his heart. You are my Lord and you are my God. And Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who, who have never seen me with their, with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts. And they will be blessed even more. 
you are more blessed than Thomas and the rest of the disciples because you believe without seeing. At the end of the day, here is Thomas with sorrow that led to doubt. But in a moment, his doubt turned to praise. And here's why. Jesus is not afraid of your doubt. He's not afraid of your questions. In fact, I believe he gave me permission to tell you, you keep asking, and what you keep asking, I'm about to deliver on. Just keep your eyes open because you're about to get your answer. We've got to live lives with our eyes wide open. We've got to show up in the atmospheres that he is present and just be looking for him. That's what Thomas did. He says, I'm going to make sure wherever he's showing up to these guys, I'm going to be there too. Are you showing up to where God is active? You want to see God move? I just like sitting at home listening to people online. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. You got to get yourself in the atmosphere where God is moving. I'm not saying God can't speak to you in your living room. I'm not saying that at all. So don't be like, Derek, I'm going. No, I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is if you really want to see God move in your life, you've got to stay connected. He goes on to say this. He says, Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not even included in this book. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe that Jesus is the anointed one, the Son of God, and that through your faith in him, you will experience eternal life by the power of his name. And later, Jesus appeared once again to a group of his disciples by the lake, by lake Galilee. It happened the day where Peter... Thomas, twin, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, Jacob, John, and two other disciples were all together. Peter told them, I'm going fishing. And they all replied, we'll go with you. So they went out and fished through the night, but caught nothing. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing there on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was him. He called out to them saying, hey guys, did you catch any fish? And like half the time when I go, not a thing. They replied. And Jesus shouted to them, Throw your nets over to the star- starboard side and you'll catch some. And, they, and, and so they did, as he, as he said, and they caught so many fish they couldn't even pull the net. Then the disciples whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Peter heard him say this, he quickly wrapped his outer garment around, around him. And because he was athletic, he, drove, he dove right into the lake to go to Jesus. The other disciples then brought the boat to shore, dragging their catch of fish. They weren't far from land, only about 100 meters. And when, and when they got to the shore, they noticed a, a charcoal fire with some roasted fish and bread. How did you get this fish? Because you weren't out here fishing with us. And then Jesus said, bring some of the fish you just caught. And so Peter, Peter waded into the water and helped Paul. Because Peter's like freaking out. He's like, dude, I denied him three times. I'm going to do exactly what he tells me to do. I'm going to be the first one back in there to get fish and get back. I, I'm going to try to make things right. So Peter waded into the water and helped pull the net, uh, net to shore. It was full, full of many large fish, exactly 153. But even with so many fish, the nets were not torn. Come, let's have some breakfast, Jesus said to them. And not one of the disciples needed to ask who he was because everyone of them knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus came close to them and served them the bread and the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after his resurrection. After they had breakfast, Jesus took Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me more than these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord. You know that I have great affection for you. 
and take care of my lambs, Jesus said. Jesus repeated his question the second time, Simon, son of John, do you burn with love for me? And Peter answered, yes, my Lord, you know that I have great affection for you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Notice it's two times. Those first two times, you have to understand, Peter wasn't answering Jesus in the same way, with the same love that Jesus was talking about. You know, the language, this was a, what Peter what Peter was saying was a friendship love. And Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. Do you love, like, are you willing to lay your life down for me? You'll, you'll see that here in a second. Then Jesus asked him again, Peter, son of John, do you have great affection for me? Here's Jesus, he flipped. So he used Peter's word. You with me? Peter was saddened by being asked the third time because he realized, wait, that's not what Jesus was asking me this whole time. Peter saddened by being asked the third time and said, my Lord, you know everything. You know that I burn with love for you. I am willing to lay my life down for you. But also you see, Jesus restored the three times that Jesus, that Peter denied Jesus. Peter, listen. He says, go feed my lambs. Peter, listen. When you were younger, you made your own choices and you went where you, where you pleased. But one day when you are old, others will tie you up and escort you where you escort you where you would not choose to go and you will spread out your arms. He's telling Peter, one day you are going to lay your life down for me in the same way I have laid my life down for you. And Jesus said this to Peter as a, as a prophecy of what, uh, what kind of death he would die for the glory of God. And then he said, Peter, follow me. Jesus restores the one who turns away. Because, as Romans says, the call on your life is never revoked. He just says, come back home. Just like the prodigal son, his father waiting on the porch to see his son come back, leaves the porch and runs to him and restores everything back to the way it's supposed to be. Jesus restores Peter and he wants to restore you. The resurrection gives us the power to be restored. resurrection tells us that it doesn't end in death. Derek, I've screwed up one too many times. Do you know my story? I tried to run from all this. I tried to run from all this. Even to the point where I stood up in front of a church and said, I got my girlfriend pregnant. Y'all remember me doing that? I think y'all were there, weren't y'all? That was me going, see, God, I, can't, I disqualified myself. See, you don't, want, you, don't, you don't want me doing this. I got my girlfriend pregnant. I don't know where Zane went to. But that's Zane. Thanks, Zane. Just kidding. But something changed that day in my heart. I'm trying to run from it because what I thought people would look at me and say, and, Shun me, not want to have anything to do with me ever again. People started standing up and clapping. At this church, and I was like, honestly, you want to, let me tell you what, what, what I said in my mind. What the hell is going on? It's exactly what I said in my mind. And in that moment, I felt God saying, you are not revoked. 
Just like he told Peter, he said, come follow me. Come follow me. There's resurrection waiting for us. To let go of the past and to walk into new life. The resurrection is something to be celebrated. For some of us, as the band comes up, I'll tell you we're doing things a little different today. As the band comes up, for some of us in here, there's fresh resurrection waiting for you. Sin has been defeated. Death has been defeated. And resurrection is unable. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but today your resurrection can happen. Second of all, for those of us who have been, uh, some of us have kind of gotten grumpy in our walk. I got grumpy in our walk. We, we've forgotten what it was to celebrate the resurrection. So we're going to do that here in a minute. We're going to celebrate that we've been resurrected along with Christ. And we're going to celebrate that somebody's life is forever going to be changed. But we've got to finish reading. We've got to finish reading. Let me get this on real quick so we can have a smooth, a smooth transition as possible. But we've got to keep reading. It goes on to say this. Then Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved and loved was following them. So John was like close by, like you're not gonna you're not gonna get all the love, Peter. Remember, I'm putting this in my book. I'm putting this in my book because I don't want to leave you hanging, even though you did beat me to the tomb. Well, even though I beat you to the tomb, I want to put this in here that God did redeem you. So when Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them, this was the disciple who sat close to Jesus in the Last Supper and asked him, Lord, who is the one that will betray you? So when Peter saw him, he asked Jesus, what, what's going to happen to him? And Jesus replied, if I decide to let him live until I return, what concern is that of yours? You will still keep on following me. So the rumor started to circulate among the believers that this disciple was going to die. But Jesus never said that. He only said that if I let him live until I return, what concern is that of yours? Because I, John, am, am, the, am that disciple who has written these things to testify of the truth. And we know that what, what I have documented is accurate. Jesus did countless things that I, ha, I have included here. And if every one of his works were written down and described one by one, I suppose the world itself wouldn't have enough room to hold the books that would have to be written. That's the story of who he is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to celebrate that. You can go on to the next one. We're going to celebrate that this morning.